Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Woodzik. This is episode 133 with Wendy Franz, who is the managing director of the Colorado Shakespeare Festival. And we chat all about their 2019 season, which is in full swing. The last main stage show of their season, King Charles III, a future history play, opens this weekend on Saturday. So please visit cupresents.org to get all of the information you'll need to see all of the Colorado Shakespeare Festival shows and learn about all the cool stuff they're doing, not only with the work they're producing that you know is ticketed and all that jazz, but also the educational outreach work that they're doing. All right, friends, please enjoy episode 133 with Wendy Friend. Well, friends, I am pleased as punch to have Wendy Friends as a guest on the podcast. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you so much. So you are the managing director of Colorado Shakespeare Festival. Three of the four shows are open when we're recording this. Uh, tell me about this season, and you just have put some, a lot of folks might not know, like I am a huge arts administration nerd. I believe it's an art form as much as directing or acting or any of the design that goes into a piece. So yeah, come at us with your like managing director eye of the season. Awesome. Uh, I was super excited for this season going into it. It's one of those uh, we call the juggernaut seasons of just titles that people love, that right. they're really excited about. Uh, but for me, the excitement is always, um, what are we doing that makes it relevant this year? Why, right. why do these shows now? They've been done a thousand, thousand times and you know, hundreds of years. Um, so like Twelfth Night, it's the first show that our uh, producing artistic director, Tim Orr, was directing outside. It's actually his first Shakespeare play with the Shakespeare Festival, which is kind of exciting it's too. Wild, yes, right? Right. Um, so it was a big deal to me knowing all of that. Um, he was so passionate about the title and um, uh, and seeing it all come together in that beautiful space outdoors. That was a big inspiration for him for the, the concept of the production, um, and it's just been beautiful and people are really enjoying it, which is nice. It's such um, a fun show. It's one of my. That was the first Shakespeare my mom ever took me to, uh-huh. and this is this is just my little like being a little sentimental for a moment. But I I absolutely fell in love with the character of Festy Thomas Deming Haynes, who now works for The Onion, played oh, it that. in this like youth production, Aww. and so for me to like get to understudy that role is it just makes me so happy. And everyone is just you can tell all of the actors on stage are just having such a fun yes. time yes. whenever they're on stage. And you really feel that, I think, as an audience member. Absolutely. And if they're not, you feel that too, right? <laughs> you know? And I love that about this production. Yeah, every time I see it or catch snippets of it as I'm working front of house, um, people just are, everybody on stage is having a great time, and I feel like that just radiates to the whole audience. Mm-hmm. And Festy, too, on this production in particular, because I've seen that show many times as well, or that play, and I love a different take on Festy, and I yes. understand different things about the sort of like subtext and the wisdom of Festy in this production that I haven't caught in some other ones. So I think that's been really delightful with Rindy Eckert, who's the both the composer for the original right. music in the show as well as playing that role. So this is my funny story about how I was like, Rindy, I'm like, I've heard that name, I've heard that name. And then I was like, oh my gosh, Rindy Eckert's married to Ellen McLaughlin, yes. who was the original Angel in Angels exactly. in America. Exactly. 
who just and opened so, the the uh, is it the Oristia? Tr- uh, I believe in, so. Yeah, in also Washington, an DC. incredible yep. playwright and yes. director. Yes. And so, like, everything, the world is so small mm-hmm. of theater, and it seems Shakespeare especially. Yeah, I agree. And I, I kind of love that, you know, because it is a certain band of folks that decide to sort of cultivate these skills right. to, to, to deal with this language, and um, as well as maybe play instruments and fight and dance, and you know. Um, and so it's kind of, uh, it's fun to, to start making all those connections across the country and sometimes even the world. Um, yeah, so that production's been a total hoot, and it's it's been lovely. <laughs> Apart from the weather, like it's been a really rough year, you know, for outdoor theater. I love Amber Amber Scales, <laughs> who plays Lila, was saying, "We sing every night. The rain it raineth every day. Why are we surprised?" That's right. Like there We're is, I think there it. is something to the magic of theater, and just the music that Rindy puts in that. I think it's so e- one of the most malleable things in Shakespeare is the music, mm-hmm. right? Which we see in As You Like It as well, because sometimes you have a couple verses of lyrics, mm-hmm. but it's really on the vision of the director and, and the ensemble to be like, what is the mood? Like, what are we saying yes. with this music? And I love this sort of otherworldly quality that Rindy mm-hmm. brings to it, not only with the melody, but the way that he specifically performs those yes, songs. Yes, absolutely. Because they always are, I feel like, a journey that he makes yes. and where he starts and where he ends are two different places, much as we try to do that with our character arcs. And and um, and I also like the interaction of Rindy's music and Tim's direction, where there is action happening that's inspired by the music, right. but it also takes us somewhere like that relationship exploration between Orsino and yes. Viola, who's in disguise as a boy, is also such a fascinating exploration of all sorts of things going on um, that I think is really lovely for people to to sort of just experience and question and interrogate. I think it's the first time I've seen that scene blocked in that way. Mm-hmm. And that sort of, the way that Rindy, and I'm sure collaboration between Rindy and Tim, the way the way that it's Orsino at the end that says, you know, see you later, but then Festy makes the choice to deliver the see ya, and I see you. Yes. To Viola. Yes, to Viola. Which, oh which is so, that's just a powerful, that's one of my favorite parts of the play. Because yes. it's, it's like this other level of recognition and communication between characters in what can often just be just a big fun play. You right, know, but I right. feel like there's more depth going on with those kinds of moments. So I've really enjoyed that about this production. And they're still unearthing that. That's the fun thing about once a show starts is the cast gets more and more natural and comfortable with right. it. And I mean, if, if they're all professionals and they, they're going to keep the timing tight they're going to keep it all you know moving forward but they become I feel like ideally a little more authentic a little more just comfortable in a good way not complacent but but um realistic in the sense of inhabiting the characters and making new discoveries so right. yeah it's fun to see so that's 12th night <laughs> it's a whole podcast right there um then as you like it um as you said also there's so much music it I've really enjoyed it's such a fresh take of a play a lot of people also love as you like it because it's you know a really fun um pastoral romp into the right. forest you know um very uh Shakespeare and well-known. Um, I mean, Rosalind is the, I think, the the character, the female character with the most lines in, in all of Shakespeare, Shakespeare yeah. as far as that goes. Um, but I really like this fresh take where uh, um, the director, Carolyn Howarth, she wasn't really bound to it has to be this year in this setting, super realistic. You know, it's right. sort of a little bit 
open and amorphous as far as we get a sense of Western, but not old, you know, like Old West. Um, we get a little rockabilly, we get a little, you know, um, folk um, going on as far as both. Everything. Yeah, the style wise and then music wise. Um, but it all makes sense and it all works. You sort of, it's like you're at a concert or like if if anyone's old enough to remember the VH1 Storyteller series of acoustic, yes. you know, stuff on TV, which I loved. Um, that was an inspiration for us was that the idea of these folks with guitars get together and tell some stories and jam and play music. And, and so it had that kind of feel to it. And somehow, I, I wasn't sure how it was all going to come together, you know, when you're doing early production meetings, but it came together really beautifully. And it for me, this production is illuminating text that I didn't really understand before. Like a lot of what the clown touchstone says, I've seen other productions. It's very funny and Josh often very physical. So good he like he's insane the way he attacks <laughs> and elevates yes. that text yes and the mustache oh my god and yeah, the, the guitar play spectacular twirls i know <laughs> i was teasing him i'm like i only wish you played guitar and sang better but you know totally in jest because he's incredible i mean right. his musicianship and he just really connected with the composer sam meisner right away and got the style he wanted yeah. and and he's just i mean his guitar playing is just such a in constant, it kind of important. anchors yeah, the it does. production. It does, exactly. in a way. And shout out, I have so much love in the world for Sean Michael Cummings and the fact that he was saying this is the third or fourth time he's played Sylvia's. Is it really? Yeah, it's oh either gosh. the third or fourth. And I didn't know that. For him to pick up the saw, like that was one of my absolute favorite mm-hmm. moments in the whole show was him playing. Well, the the way that the wrestling matches stayed. Yes. Because yes. I love it. And yep. then him picking up that saw. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I, I, I love that you loved those because I was stressed out about the wrestling match because that, you know, from a HR and company management perspective, I'm always worried about safety for people. Well, I would and love for you to speak it's more tricky. of it because yeah, yeah. We, see, we see the end product yeah. and we don't see the dozens and hundreds of emails right. that you in a, in a managerial position right. are... are are getting on a daily basis. Well, you know, I think we didn't really, I mean, I've seen that performed realistically many times and it's always a little stressful. I mean, it's handled with fight choreographers and it's all fine. But I was like, I don't know how that fits in this world. And so I was just thrilled. I didn't see it until they had, um, so Carolyn Howard, the director, uh, Chris Duvall, the the fight choreographer, and then Erica Randall, who did movement choreography, like dance sort of stuff. Um, The three of them really collaborated um, heavily on that piece. And Carolyn wanted it to be theatrical and fun and and different and that we wouldn't have to worry about literal, literal like, you know, jujitsu throw or something, you know? Because the odds are stacked. The text goes over and over yes. about how the odds physically are stacked yes. against Orlando. Yes. So then how... How do you make that realistic absolutely. and whatever? And so don't. Don't make it realistic. Make it really theatrical. <laughs> uh, I mean, and, and uh, so it was delightful to see that, you know, truly a theatrical solution that's in, probably even more um, entertaining than a real right. wrestling bout or whatever would be in this context of a play and a sort of musical play that's happening. Um, yeah, and that's, uh, so many people have commented on that. They just love that aspect of it. Yes. And I think it was a wonderful collaborative sort of product from all of these brains coming together to do it. And it works so well with those two actors too. They both, I thought, did a really nice job of super clean, <laughs> crisp, you know. Right. Um, yeah, and, and then safety-wise, I was just thrilled because we don't have to be dealing with, you know, <laughs> potential as it is. The work that all of our performers do is like 
it's very rigorous and taxing and I'm always concerned about people's voices and safety outside and you know whatever so yeah. I, it was one less thing to <laughs> to worry about it's like oh that's great and it's great fun and the audience loves it and then yeah Josh Innerst you just mentioned his text uh, he's from the American I mean we met him at the American Shakespeare Center a few years ago um, right and we're blown away by his work and he and Shante Lofton came out from you know we met them there and, and then she they came was out. such a standout as, mm-hmm. as Celia as well yeah uh, I, I lovely uh, one of my favorite parts about as you like it always is that relationship between Celia and Rosalind and that deep love and sort of sisterhood even though they're not sisters and right. and, and loyalty um, both them as well as Adam and um, uh, Orlando um, and I felt like both those relationships were just uh, highlighted in such beautiful ways so that they really again anchor the story with right. this heart of this human connection and what's possible for I think compassion and empathy so that combined with the music that just rocks um, and I, also MVP a little bit I feel Leslie O'Carroll oh gosh with yes. her quick changes from I don't know if I've seen a production where the Jayquees Phoebe doubling happens I know I haven't <laughs> yeah probably because they have to be it's pretty back to back very very right? very quick depending on the cutting but I think when Emily Emily Vance Fleet who plays Reslin did the uh takeover for mm-hmm. the uh Shakespeare Festival's Instagram, it was something like, it's less than 20 seconds, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I think it's like 15, and I, I love that kind of stuff, like that's that's where my love of I theater really lives. So oh, me too, I, and I, I just think what our folks backstage do, and in the costume shop, and um, and then working together with the artists on stage is just magic every time, and so like I watch that thing like five times, because I right? just love me it. Too. Yeah, too. and I love standing in the wings and just watching everybody work as all of these people, separate um, from different backgrounds, different motivations, but they all come together in this beautiful dance of logistics, you know, whether yeah. it's uh, the costume change or a scene change or, you know, changing over the set from one to another in rep um, as we do. So, yeah, I thought that was a beautiful. And Leslie is such a brilliant, I mean, actor, period. Um, last year she was our, um, you know, mo- mother of Richard III, um, right. and she was amazing. And then to see her in this wonderful comic turn playing multiple characters, um, which is, you know, it's a great stretch for all of the actors, and I think they have fun, and they're pushed a little bit and take risks, and so hopefully everybody walks out of the experience, you know, feeling a little richer than they did coming into it Yay. artistically. So, yeah, that's as you like it. Um, uh, and then we just opened Romeo and Juliet, which you've Star seen, you saw some already. of the rehearsals. I oh, think. Yeah, yeah, seen, yeah. I think, I think I've seen it four, yeah, four times by now. Um, yeah, and that's I love, 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 love the wig and costume design for mm, that show because yeah. it's. And I say this as like a diehard like RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I seriously since. Like, I've just written a chapter in a book about Drag Race. I love it so much. Nice. Uh, but it's, it's, it's elevated. Like, Lady Capulet mm-hmm. and the nurse, the mm-hmm. way... And Juliet's mm-hmm. costume. Mm-hmm. Shut up. Like, all so good. All so good. And then... The yeah, just those wigs are I don't know for yeah. me like the wigs alone. Obviously the acting, the music, the fight, choreography, <laughs> yeah, yeah. amazing. Right, but those wigs that's <laughs> yeah no. Uh, Hugh Hansen, the the costume designer, he really has such a special I feel like eye for. Um, I want to say mashup, and I mean that in a, like a, a elevated way because you know we started with sort of a Renaissance feel we wanted to the production, sure. but not to be too 
tied to, you know, again, the literal time period, but sort of jumping off from that. And then Hugh takes it to this whole other level of incorporating streetwear and haute couture and all of these different influences. I'm sure RuPaul and the artwork they've done on that show just is inspirational. And so taking all that together and then going, yeah, what does this mean? And and the director, Cristobal, you know, he really wanted this strong cast of, uh, there's a lot of performers that identify as female, and he wanted them in roles that are traditionally male roles, like Benvolio, Mercutio, yeah, yeah, yeah. Balthazar. Um, And, uh, but, you know, and playing with that and going, you know what, they're not women, they're not men, they're people choosing to live life this way and right. you know and I thought that was such an interesting exploration and what a hell of a great opportunity for Ann Penner to sink her teeth Holy into a role cow. <laughs> right a fel- shout out to Anne Anne ha- Anne co-hosts the podcast on yes. acting and psychology called the actor's mind yes. which if y'all are listening to this you should hop over we'll link to that in the episode description uh because she, it's so fascinating to listen to her on those mm-hmm. episodes and then see her, you know, have more insight into her process and then see how she is just, she gets the most out of every single beat of yes. that Mercutio, right? Yeah, absolutely. And to be, uh, you know, she's so embodied. Yes. Like her text is amazing. And at the same time, I just, I, she inhabits the character with everything that she is. Right. Um, and it's been so fun. It's, we've talked a lot about how great and freeing it's been for her to play this role that doesn't have all the strictures that a traditionally female character role that she often plays does have. And to really start to, to play with the elasticity of all of these gender ideas, you know? Right. Cause it's, I think, I think, I think what folks, I get a little excited and why I was stuttering. Um, I think folks who are quote unquote Shakespeare purists, or it, it gets to this point where folks feel that it, it's inaccessible because of the first way that, you know, the first way it was taught to them, maybe by someone who didn't, wasn't very passionate about it. But I feel like if Shakespeare were alive today, like there'd be so many anachronisms. There would be so, there would be, he would be like, cool, like how many, colors of the LGBTQIA plus rainbow can we paint with here because it's no longer illegal to have cis females playing female identified roles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think we lose that sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we always get some folks that aren't comfortable with those choices that we make repeatedly, like to, in this case, to have, you know, cis women playing these roles that are typically right. typically male. Um, but again, it's been done since Shakespeare's time, just in reverse. So well, why, why would fact, we not the, do it now? The thing that sends me up the wall is when I was when I was at Naropa in my doing my MFA, Lee Fondakowski, who a lot of folks know from having written the Laramie project, mm-hmm. being the lead writer in the Laramie project, she has this work in progress that we did a you know workshop reading of all about Charlotte Cushman mm. that folks Folks, it just dropped out a little bit. I think folks have more of a, a, a reference point with Sarah Bernhardt playing yeah, Hamlet. Sure. But Charlotte Cushman, and we don't have a fact checker on this <laughs> podcast, but essentially she was one of the highest paid performers of her day during the Civil War times-ish. Mm. And she, I mean, she played Lady M, but she also played Romeo in yes, Hamlet. And yes. so when folks get their knickers in a twist a little bit about oh we're having women play male roles like like since the civil war yeah it's it's nothing new right right and i I like you know our our lady hamlet in 2017 uh lena klingeman said 
it's all about she realized it's all about just pure human potential you know and and just harnessing that to commit 100% to what this character is doing, what they want, what they're struggling with, what's in their way, all this, those basics of acting. Um, and I, I like that point of view because if you have a killer actor like Ann Penner in a role or Jessica Robley, oh my God. Esmond Bolio. Oh and her Olivia just kills me every time in Twelfth Night too. Yes. Um, you have people that are just so, such beautiful artists, so such great experience and also um, great insight, I feel like, into, to, the work that they do, the discipline they put into it. Um, it, it, it doesn't matter what the role is, they're gonna be great, you know? <laughs> and I think like not to go too far down this path, because yes. I do, I'm the most fascinated in this season to see what Kevin Rich does mm-hmm. with King Charles III. Yes. I really wanna yes. dig into that because since it's a new title, folks might be mm-hmm. like, well, I don't, most other three were Shakespeare. But yep. I think it, it, what you're saying, it just speaks so much to we need to really examine the structures of power in casting that have been going on for mm-hmm. hundreds of years. We just really have to, in, and not that we're, of course we want, we want all super talented people, but yeah. I think if we really want to walk this equity, diversity, and inclusion talk that's, that is so top of mind for so many theater companies, we just, it's a lot, this curiosity, interrogation about yes. why have we made why have we made this role, you know, canonically, traditionally, mm-hmm. we have cast roles a certain way. Cool. So we've been doing that for a while. Right. What else can we do? Yeah. Like what yeah. exciting, what is, let's push the, you know, push the boundaries of human potential. Yeah. Yeah. As you're saying. And guess what? Most folks go along for the ride mm-hmm. and the couple of folks who are a bit, a little bit like, hmm, yeah. maybe they, you know, a year or two later examine why they had yeah. that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think whenever we make a different choice or, or, uh, you know, there's opportunity to illuminate the text, right? To see it in a way we haven't seen it before. And I'm just excited by that. I want to maintain a healthy curiosity about what's possible and how we can look at it differently. Um, And I think most of our directors share that, which is really lovely. That's one of my favorite parts of the job. One of my favorite Romeo and Juliet's I ever saw was... I think it was Seattle Immersive Theater did it, and they really leaned into the text, and they did a portrayal of Romeo as being trans. Mm. And so when <clears throat> when those lines come up, like when Tybalt says "boy," yeah, or when the nurse says "be a man," mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it take again it illuminates the text in a, in a different way. And I think in that production they combined Lady Capulet and Capulet just into a Capulet. Yeah character yeah. and the nurse was played by a man and it was all really interesting like just see what happens yeah. like don't be especially since it's not something like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and right. like the estate of Albie being like no you right. can't do that yep yeah no that's not gonna happen and 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 yeah this this is why like my dissertation is all gonna be about queering mm-hmm. queering Shakespearean narratives because it's like it's I think it's just, it, we have to. Like, yeah. we have to find the ways to subvert the way that it's been done before while still paying homage to the text and these mm-hmm. amazing characters that have been portrayed for the last 500 plus yeah. years. Yeah, and the poetry and I, uh, yeah, the illumination of the human experience. I feel like there's great potential for that and, and there's a lot of different human experiences, right? And we yeah. can't just limit that to the what has been done or what as things have been understood or whatever in the past because that's... 
not where we are today, nor I don't think it's where we're going, right? Well, that's a perfect segue into this next play, right? (laughs) (laughs) So Mike Bartlett, King Charles III, a future history play directed by one of my favorite humans, Kevin Rich. Tell me why this play now... uh, just tell me everything about it, because yeah. this is the one like yeah. I want to get folks most excited Absolutely. about. Absolutely, no, it's it. This it, this was one of those plays. You know, we read dozens and dozens of scripts for season planning every year, and a lot of new plays because we like to keep you know, hopefully lifting up classics of the future, as we right, say, right. in addition to Shakespeare, and um, uh, this play. All of us that read it. Immediately, it was one of those. Sometimes you're like, "Oh, I got to get back to that. I'm going to make dinner or whatever," you know. And right. you're like, "I got to read that script." But this one, all of us, we just read it straight through. It just it engrossed us. It um, is so unique in the way you know. So it imagines what happens right after the death of the current Queen Elizabeth II, right? Um, and when Charles is going to ascend the throne, her son. Um, and obviously, it has characters we all recognize from mainstream media, um, the, the royal family and William and Kate and Prince Harry. Um, and, and so it's, but it's absolutely a fictional story, right? It's, it's imagining what if, you know, and what was so fascinating about it for one thing is it's all written in verse, Shakespearean verse, which is extraordinary to take modern language, but put it into that structure and have it work, um, where it doesn't, I mean, if the actors, you know, once they get comfortable with it, it doesn't feel like sing-songy. It doesn't, right. you know, um, but um, it's still in the exact same structure as Shakespeare is. And in the play itself, you know, it's dealing with succession of of royal families, but also these very um, familial ties, right? And the, the loyalties of the different um, um, so- fathers and sons and the mothers that are gone and, um, you know, uh, all of that. So I think it's very obviously relevant on a personal level. But um, the most fascinating thing, I think, to me was that the 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 crux of sort of the plot deals with Charles, um, the character Charles, asserting power to instead of just being a rubber stamping, yeah. yeah, rubber stamping this law that has been proposed um, in Parliament that would actually um, put quite a chokehold on the media. He says, "Wow, that's bad for business. That's bad for the people, right? The media is helps." keep us all in check. Um, and, and that's despite his family having been abused by it over the years, right? right? right. Um, and so then he really comes up against everybody else in the story because he's, ultimately he believes he should try to protect the people by not signing this bill, even though it's been purely ornamental that the royal signs for all these years. Right. Um, and it becomes sort of this interesting mix of at times the Scottish play, at times a little bit Lear, at times a little, you know, and, and which is fascinating. So it has all these sort of Shakespearean elements. There's a ghost um, in addition to the verse and these ideas of who should be in power and um, what's right and wrong. And there isn't any clear answer because you understand understand what the younger generation is getting at, why they're fighting for, for the bill to go through. You understand Charles, like he really, con- his, his moral conviction is that this is wrong. So how can he go against that? Um, and so it's like, by the end, you're like, what's going to happen? You know? <laughs> um, and I, I just watched the last scene um, a couple of days ago in rehearsal. And it is beautifully heartbreaking mm. in just a really rich, satisfying way. The cast is extraordinary. Um, John Hutton, um, who, you know, has been... Been a, a regional theater actor in, in Denver um, 
local for many years. He, he's gone away, but he's come back, um, is playing King Charles. And he's just, just heartbreaking. And mm. he brings such, I feel like, compassion to the struggle of that character in the role um, and a deep humanity, which is really, really moving. Um, but the whole cast is, is wonderful. A lot of the same actors from As You Like It are in it. We add a few more um, local favorites like Casey Andre and um, Anastasia Davidson. And... Casey is one of my, again, like just such great humans involved. Yes. Just because it's not just about the acting talent, which all these folks have yeah. so much of, but just being a good human and a listener, and I love that he's a calculus teacher. Yes! Bless that man, teaching calculus <laughs> to high school students, and oh my gosh. So he's playing Prince William. Yes. And then I love yes. that Anne Sando is playing Camilla. Yes. Because of just, I think his Daily Camera mm-hmm. recently did a feature on Her and the Sam. Sando yep. siblings. Yeah. Do you want to just give the cliff notes of that a little oh, bit? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, their their like father um, directed Shakespeare here before the Shakespeare Festival was a Shakespeare Festival here at CU, and um, and then was an integral part of it as it got started in the 1958. Um, he also directed plays at Oregon Shakes uh, for years um, during oh. the mid-century. Um, yeah, he left a huge legacy of, of, you know, incredible Shakespeare, I think, direction and performance. And obviously, both his kids got the bug. <laughs> they both got degrees and have perform professionally for years and years and years um uh yeah and it's always a delight to have them in the cast and the company because they bring such incredible institutional knowledge but they also just love it they're so passionate about the work that's done and and just the stories to tell and and the experience of the actors in the company and um uh and there's just incredible people to have in the room so it's, it's really fun they're both in on this production which is new it's not a shakespeare play right uh, but they're both perfect for the roles they're playing in it so that was really delightful to get to put them both in this show uh, i know tim was really excited about that when he was casting it um uh so yeah it's it's a lovely lovely group um emily van fleet is playing kate middleton um no pressure no pressure i know <laughs> Oh, and she's wonderful. Uh, uh, yeah, but yeah, I think there's a lot of, you know, all the actors want to, you know, realistically represent these fictional characters that are inspired by real people, right? And that's sort of a tricky um, thing in and of itself. Um, but I think the story is so compelling and interesting. It's really like a thought exercise. Like, what if this thing that we know in real life happened in the future, you know, and what might that look like, and what would be the implications be? Um, so it's, I mean, there's sort of suspense to to that. Um, and it's a pretty new. It is, play. yeah, yeah. And I think folks don't realize like how polarizing it was mm-hmm. when it was produced in the UK. Yes, right. Yes, absolutely. That there's a lot of controversy. I mean, I think there always is when you take people that are alive and are public figures and sure. maybe have something to lose, you know, and then portray them in a way they don't, I mean, we don't know what those folks are like at home. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like we have no idea. Right. Um, so anything that's written in that vein is going to be a conjecture. But um, I think as, as a work of fiction goes and drawing as much as it does on Shakespeare um, in terms of the structure of the, the plays and the, the rhyme and the meter and the things at stake, which are, I think, pretty universal through history, yes. um, it, it makes for a really compelling night of theater. I can't wait to go into tech next week for it. Yay! Yeah. So for folks who might be on the fence, yes. what's your... I think we've done a pretty good job in case there's <laughs> anything left in the tank. 
if they're like, well, the other three are, you know, Shakespeare. And yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about this one. I'm not quite convinced. Yeah. What absolutely. would you say to them? Well, I would say that um, it's it's just a really good story um, about. Uh, people that I think you'll be able to relate to um, and while it's it's written in verse it's still modern language which I always talk to audience members of ours that you know they do their best but they just don't maybe connect with Shakespeare the same way so they really appreciate when we have a non Shakespeare title that's a new play because they learn about new stories right. and um, and they can understand it just more readily because it's not in early modern English it's just the, the English we speak today um, just a little bit heightened it's there's a little bit of poetry to it um, but it's but it's beautiful and exciting and and um, uh, I think people are really the ones that come to see it are really gonna enjoy it. <laughs> Yay! Yes. Get your tickets, y'all. That's of course, right. you want to go to see you present. Of course, and I will link to that in the episode description totally. to get all your tickets on. So let's do our little like inside the actors' studio. Y'all don't see it, but there's a huge stack of note cards here. So, um, what can you like pinpoint a moment? when you were young to young were you really connected with the performing arts or arts in a way where there was that little spark or that aha moment of this might be something that's a thread that flows through my entire life yeah I, it was really when I was in middle school I got really into musicals <laughs> yes uh, and you know in particular I'm kind of embarrassed now but I'm not in the same vein like the Phantom of the Opera, yes. the Les Mis. Like I read all those, the real novels when I was like in sixth grade and a total nerd. Um, and and then I got into the musicals and I got to see Michael Crawford play the Phantom of oh the Amundsen from the second row. He really cried, like real, real cry um, under the mask and stuff. And that was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> As a like you know, eleven year old. That's um, yeah, I was. I lived in a little cow town in the middle of nowhere in the desert in California, and um, to be able to experience things like that and see stories that took me all over the world like that and uh, taught me about empathy. I think um, that really had a big effect on me. Like some of the highlights of my life were like little tiny touring actors that would come to town and do a school like sure. you know assembly where they do like a tiny 12th night or um uh, i remember a lot of like one person shows that were really compelling and that stuff was like oh people do this like this is something you can do like with your life um so that got me really into it and then i had an incredible a couple of incredible um drama teachers once i got hooked by the musicals and the performances I'd seen. Um, I had some incredible teachers that we got to do Shakespeare in seventh grade and, um, and onward. And um, uh, I, did, I acted and did, you know, just because it was fun, whatever I could do tech-wise, I learned how to be on book and stage manager and stuff when I was in high school. And then I went to college, um, started out as acting, but the minute I took a directing class, I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be this is doing. It. This is it. Because I love doing it all. I love being a part of the whole process. And I think Same. what we yeah. do as theater artists is, I don't know, I do think it's magic. Uh, to me, the magic is in the collaboration and making real connections with people and, um, and then making something beautiful that touches other people. Um, and so I loved directing because I worked with all of the designers and, and created a great relationship with the stage manager and as well as the actors. And, um, and so I took every class I could and I uh, petitioned in school to get to direct a full length play before I left as my practicum. So I got to do that, uh, make that part of the season. Well, what, um, what show did you choose? Or did you get to have I did. over the show? Yeah, I did. It was um, Athol Fugard's The Road to Mecca. 
Okay. Um, yeah, the South African playwright. Um, uh, and it, it was a play we'd never do at college because our, our, our program was really hardcore about you play roles you're appropriate for at the time. Mm. So it, it's, a, it's two very elderly people and a younger person who's taking care of one of them. And I was like, you know what, this is an incredible story and it's beautiful and I think it'd be great for these actors to stretch. You know, so some of my fellow seniors really wanted to do that. and. So we got permission to do it, which was great. Um, yeah, and then in addition, I got a, um, a degree track in um, design and technology because um, uh, I got hooked into the tech program. They just saw me doing a changeover because you know all of the actors would of course sure. do do their hours, right? And I loved it. I thought it was so fun, you know, change over the set from nonsense to <laughs> forever plaid or whatever it was, you know. And um, and they were like, "Who is that?" person who's actually enjoying this because most of the actors would be like uh, yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was fun because we're doing theater it didn't matter to me what we were doing so I got roped into that and it was great actually because I learned to stage manage um, and I, I supported myself in college because I didn't have a lot of other support um, by professionally stage managing and um, working at the roadhouse in town and doing load ins and load outs and orchestra concerts and stuff like that, and then working in the box office. Um, so I got this wonderful range of experience in so much of the different business of what we do. Um, and then um, also stage managing was a, a, an amazing front row seat to all these different directors. Yes. And learning from them and how they direct and run a room and what to do and what not to do and, you know, uh, all of that kind of stuff. So that was really instructive um, and incredibly helpful. Um, I did a stint as a, a stage crew apprentice at the Santa Fe Opera um, while I was in college, and that was incredible. That was like the hardest job I've ever done. Sure. Uh, it's sort of like closest to the military I'll get <laughs> as far as, you know, the, the work. Um, but it's it, stuff like that I, was really important and informative for me because it told, it told me that I'm capable of far more than I realized I was capable of, um, both in hard work and endurance and, and problem solving and all that kind of stuff too. So all of that has kind of informed how I choose to direct and then uh, it's hugely informed my work as a, as a theater administrator and, and manager and leader and all of that stuff. So that's a super nickel tour. Yeah, well, how, how, do we get, can, how do we get from end of undergraduate to being the managing director? Yeah, colleges? yeah, so uh, after school I wanted to take a little time off, so I kind of did, not a full gap year, but I wanted, I wasn't sure where I wanted to end up. So sure. uh, I had gone to school at UNC in Greeley, and then uh, I came and worked in the box office here at the Shakespeare Festival in um, the like summer after I graduated, um, and then, um, I took like six months and I just road tripped like through California, which is where I'm from originally, and visited different cities and kind of checked out the theater scene there, stayed with friends on couches and stuff. And while I was doing that, some friends of mine from college sent me a letter saying that they were starting a nonprofit ensemble-based theater inspired by Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago where they had done master classes with Rindy Reed and, you know, or Rindy Reed folks, folks like that. Um, and then, um, but they wanted to do this something similar in Denver. And they asked if I wanted to be a founding ensemble member with them. Um, and so I thought about that as I was traveling and stuff, but I wanted to still check it out the world a little bit, you right. know, but I, but I wasn't, I mean, California isn't known for being a super theater rich, at least not at that time when I was looking, you know, place apart from these real isolated pockets, pockets right. Yeah. Um, uh, in some of the major metropolitan areas. Um, and so I, I didn't really find what I was looking for on that trip. So then I came back to Denver and, um, thought really hard about 
the offer of these friends that I loved working with. They were some of my favorite, um, I, I felt like really talented people in school. And I decided to take them up on the, the offer. So I joined um, what became Paragon Theater. Um, and our first show was Eugene O'Neill's Moon for the Misbegotten, a real crowd pleaser, right? <laughs> Um, and that was in 2001. Um, and, uh, yeah. And from there, you know, we, we did 12 years of, uh, of producing oh my gosh, yeah. three to four plays a year. Um, all of us did it. We did it moonlighting. So we ran as a professional company, meaning that everybody got paid, but those of us that ran the company would put our money back into right. the, the, you know, right. and writing grants and all of that good stuff. So, um, and we got some terrific um, support and attention from the media in town and and we were honored to sort of gain a, a reputation as being a place that people like to work and 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 everybody from an intern up to directors and that kind of stuff that was a huge thing for us was we want this to be a great experience everybody walks out of feeling enriched and maybe they learn something and that kind of thing so it was a it was that was my grad school was running a running a nonprofit theater in Denver for 12 That's years huge. so did, yeah. did you all have different titles or were you all mm-hmm. yeah so uh, there were there were three of us that were the main producers um, and then um, some of us were directors some were actors some were designers some were a combination of those things I was actually my official like working title every day was production manager um, but I also produced shows when I wasn't directing them um, and yeah we all kind of traded off on that stuff and tried to work with that's where I met Sam Gregory and um, got to direct him uh, in some great stuff which was which was really formative and pretty awesome so if you had to choose like yeah. your top one or two that you directed yeah. what comes oh top e- of mind? that's easy um, uh, the night heron by Jez Butterworth who's a brilliant playwright and not we only know Jerusalem and now the ferryman sure. but he, he has a whole slew of incredible Catalog. plays yeah mm-hmm. um and then uh, the real thing um by stoppard that sam mm-hmm. sam was the lead in and um was just extraordinary and had just a great cast for that but those were both really terrific experiences and we did, did a bunch of regional premieres and all that kind of stuff and i learned so much from each of those experiences but those were definitely i think kind of at the top there so while i was doing that then i got the job here as the chair's assistant and graduate program assistant in the theater and dance department um, Working with Bud uh, Coleman? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. So I assisted Bud, and then I um, advised the grad students and recruited them. Uh, and then, um, yeah, and then from there, Tim recruited me for this job because um, we'd been friendly and worked sure. together so sure. peripherally. And then the business manager, uh, business, yeah, uh, manager left CSF, and he said, I need, I need somebody that knows campus but also knows producing, and uh, you want to come do that? And I said, well, if we can rewrite the job description a little bit, because I'm not an accountant, <laughs> but I do right. have all these other skills. Right. And that's what we did, and it's been a heck of a ride ever since. It's amazing. And you got to direct Richard III. Richard III last year. Last yeah, year. Yeah, and I did equivocation in 16, which was awesome. Yeah, it was really fun to do that regional premiere as well. What would you say when, when you're a director, when you're looking for titles mm-hmm. to just pitch in general, or what, what are the things that draw you into a script? Like, what are your top little things that you're looking for? Yeah, you mean as like if as I want to direct it? Yeah. yeah, for me, number one is are those are there those elements of are they real people that we can flesh out and actually make live on stage as opposed to sort of stereotypes or cardboard 
cutouts of characters or things, right? Um, and then for me, that part usually that means there's some good secrets that are going to get unearthed. And do the characters have a distance traveled, a journey that they go on, right? And is there a dramatic arc? You know, uh, do we start in one place and then is it going to build and build and build compellingly? Uh, you know, and then are there motivations of, for those characters that they really are, can truly sink their teeth into and fight for? Because I'm always more interested in that, where there's real, like, objectives and, you know, that, that they're, and they're fighting. For me, our time is precious. And so if I'm going to ask somebody to sit in the theater and watch what we're doing for two hours, it damn well better be good and worth their time. I don't want to waste their time. I don't want to waste mine or the actors in the room. So to me, is like, is that story worth telling now? And are there characters that we can relate to and find illumination in and learn something more about our lives? And maybe start a dialogue that will continue to enrich us as we talk about it later on. It's sort of a tall that. order, but yes. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of scripts I'm not interested in because they maybe don't have at least two of those few it's elements or something. Of, yeah, we can't. I feel like we as theater artists can't get in the loop of. It's it's hard not to, but in that mm-hmm. loop of just doing shows for the sake of doing shows. Yes, yes. It's such a blessing when we have the autonomy to be like, this is no, the reason I'm doing it is because there's skin in the game. Yes, exactly. It's a exactly. meaningful experience. I'm gonna illuminate things and create characters that if you don't love them, at least you care about them and you have yeah. an opinion about yes, them. Yes, absolutely. And maybe you want to know what happens, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's, that's critical. And, and I know I'm in an incredibly privileged position that I can kind of choose when I do shows and when I don't, you know, and that's, that's incredibly special. And I know a lot of people don't get that. So I really pinch myself every day, you know, <laughs> um, and, and I'm for the first time I'm in a director production, um, in the fall, at, for university, I'm going out to university of Utah to direct the Scottish play out there. Amazing. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, and so that will be a sort of new adventure, but that's a play I've always wanted to direct too. So, um, cause I think there's a lot to unpack right? there. Um, yeah, yeah. And so it'll be fun to kind of explore that with, um, eager young minds, um, in their BFA program there. So. Will, uh, I hope I get their last name right. Will Wilhelm believe is their name but they're at oh. they're doing their second season at Oregon Shakespeare Festival and they their first show there was the queered Oklahoma uh-huh. that, that yeah. Bill Roush directed yeah and then this year they're doing both they're playing both Audrey in As You Like It and Fleance in the Scottish play nice and it just heartens me it makes me excited because OSF has sort of leaned into them helping to craft what they say on their Instagram is non-binary interpretations mm-hmm. of those roles. Yes. And I know OSF kind of is on the front lines mm-hmm. of a lot of that stuff, but that makes me so happy that some, you know, that we're starting to open this industry up a little bit, especially yes. with Shakespeare, which is sometimes the oldest stuff mm-hmm. that we're producing yes. over and over again yes. to look at it again, going totally. back to that. What, yeah, what are, what human potential can we find that yeah. we haven't yeah. found before? Absolutely. So as we sort of wrap up our time together, if there are folks who are listening, want to do the things that you do, yeah. what advice do you have for directors, for producers, for arts management folks? I, you know, uh, uh, it's hard to not sound like platitudes, but I mean, I think there's no one way, but for me, it's always been about being curious and being open 
uh, to, to possibilities, to things to learn that might come in handy later, even if you don't think they're applicable now. Like I, in college, I thought Excel spreadsheets were like, why am I learning this? And guess what I do every day? <laughs> I've gotten more jobs from oh, using gosh. Excel spreadsheets than anything. Revenge and, of the spreadsheets. Right? But those things enable me to then have a creative life that I can support with health insurance and all other things that are important to me um, to sort of have a healthy life. So um, I think being open to that stuff, learning as much as one can about everything um, that in the field that you're interested in and then um, and and I love something I love about Kevin Rich is in meetings and stuff as he's listening to people he's just constantly saying yes yes and I, I mean it's the same uh, uh, you know sort of improvisation idea of yes and but I, that's really valuable because it immediately changes our mindset too and goes oh I hadn't thought about that as a job op- option but Yes, that could be really interesting. <laughs> you he wants, he, I'm going to try to get this quotation right. That act, actors are, I think, empathy Jedis. Oh, I love it. And I, I really it. feel, I really feel like I witness him walking that talk yes, all the time. Absolutely. With that, yes, yes. I never. I don't think I ever feel as listened to than after I'm in, like, even a brief meeting with Kevin. Rich. Yes. That's yeah, huge. It's, it's a huge thing, and I love learning from folks like that, and just continuing to 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 go every day, there's something I can learn. And I'm all around all these amazing people, but I feel like that's really opened up so many opportunities that I couldn't possibly have imagined when I was an undergrad or whatever, you know, that just being curious and, and listening and trying to connect with people, so. Yeah, it's not very prescriptive, but it's, hopefully that's helpful. <laughs> I think like you're a great example of that sort of DIY, like mm-hmm. the grad school route works for a lot of folks. Yes. and. But there's something to be said about I'm gonna build my own thing mm-hmm. and with other people and the thing of something that I've been trying to embrace lately is the thing of it, embracing the things that don't pan out the way that you plan them. Yes. I don't think that we're given enough time or, or space sometimes in this society and in this industry as a whole to try stuff out that mm-hmm. we're not sure if it's going to work. Absolutely. And I'm, gonna, I'm trying to give myself permission to do more. Yes, <laughs> more absolutely. Because I, I know I learn as much, if not more, from things that I maybe felt like, I don't like to use the word failure, but that, that didn't go off as I thought they would. Right. But I learned so much from it. You know, And I mean, some of the, the best growth I think I've experienced as a director was actually when I did a very terrible job. And then I had friends who I trusted, who I respected, who said, here's why that didn't work out so well. We might suggest you try this next time. And I take those lessons and I feel like it's made me a much better director. But I had to go through that really awful time where I felt like it was a big meanie before I could develop my style and learn how to genuinely connect with people and and create good things together. Well, that's a button if I ever heard one. (laughs) Thank you so much, Wendy, for coming on the podcast and sharing a little piece of your world. Folks, go visit. Uh, We'll have the link to both the Colorado Shakespeare Festival specific website and then CU Presents Ticketing in the episode description. Come and see some shows at Colorado Shakes this summer. Thank you so much, Wizzik. What a pleasure. (laughs) 